Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Imagine getting in an elevator, a freight elevator, so about 7 by 10 feet and windowless. Now imagine being in that space for 18 consecutive years with hardly any human contact. That's what Ian Manuel asks us to do in his new memoir, to help us begin to understand what it was like for him in solitary confinement in a Florida prison. Ian Manuel was 15 years old when he went into solitary confinement and 33 when he came out. Ian Manuel, welcome to Forum. Thank you for having me. And I want to congratulate you on your new memoir titled My Time Will Come a memoir of crime, punishment, hope, and redemption. I'm sure you are asked this all the time because I just don't know how someone in that tiny space, in that extreme isolation that you experienced, just doesn't completely lose their minds. How how did you endure those circumstances? Well, I've seen a lot of, thank you for that question. I've seen a lot of people lose their minds. I think the difference between me me being a child, I had a childlike imagination. So I was able to dive within the depths of my imagination, but I also, like a fish underwater, knew how to come up for air to get that breath of fresh air, um, where people who develop schizophrenia never came up for that fresh air because the pain of reality. And so imagine a fish and that reality is oxygen. So people couldn't come up for that breath of fresh air because reality was too painful. I delved into the depth, I dived into the depths of my imagination. And through my poetry, I was able to survive. And just I had faith in the belief that I would not die in prison because I hadn't taken a life. So I believed that I would one day be free again. And it's what kept me going. Yes, I, I, I think it's worth noting that the United Nations standards prohibit solitary confinement for more than 15 days, calling it cruel, inhuman, degrading. You survived it for 18 years. And as you say, you did see people lose their minds. You saw people understandably unable to endure as you did. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the things that you describe in your book about what happened to some of them? Yeah, so some people I've seen people cut their stomachs open and, and, and place plastic sporks inside their stomachs and intestines so they can go to outside hospital for a week just for human contact, a remote control bed and a TV. Uh, I've seen people, uh, uh, you know, uh, overdose on medication like Tylenol uh, just to go to the outside hospital. I've seen people cut themselves. Uh, <sighs> it, it was just a, 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 a horrible experience that no one should have to go through. And I, I'm a proponent of the fact that solitary confinement should be ended for juveniles, particularly children, and that even for adults, there needs to be a cap. You, as you just said, 15 days is too is is considered uh, torture. So for people that are like uh, Michael McKinney or Daryl Streeter or uh, Demetrius McCutcheons who are languishing in solitary confinement as we speak uh, for 25 years or more, that's there has to be something done in the state of Florida and throughout this country about solitary confinement. 
how did you eventually come out of solitary confinement? After that, you did spend another six years sort of in and out um, with the general prison population, sometimes in solitary. But but how were you able to come out? A uh, great question. Um, not no, not many people have asked me that question. I thought outside of the box. I wrote a letter. We had a senator in Florida by the name of Bill Nelson, uh, U.S. senator. And I had written to him in the past about my case, and he told me he couldn't help me with my case, but that if I ever needed him for help about any other thing, to contact him. So when I had been in solitary confinement for 17 and a half years, I wrote him a letter, and I was saying, uh, Mr. Nelson, I'm hurting myself, because I had started to cut myself as well, uh, just to get some stimulation. And, and uh, I was never suicidal, but I was hurting myself and, 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 and depressed and, and distraught. And I wrote him a letter saying, can you please help me get out of solitary confinement? I've been here since I was 15 years old. And Bill Nelson sent my copy of my letter to the uh, secretary of the Department of Corrections and asked him to investigate why has this man been in solitary since he was 15 years old? And the secretary of the Department of Corrections ordered me to be released if I could stay out of trouble for six months. And the warden had the officers stop writing me false disciplinary reports to keep me on CM. So I was finally released out of a solitary confinement after 18 consecutive years. You talk about false disciplinary reports. One of the things that you really try to try to share in terms of an understanding for people is that when you are in solitary confinement, you are so hidden from public view that you are open to essentially egregious abuses potentially by the prison staff. And, and that was one thing that did keep you in there for for so many years, right, were, were these accusations. Yeah, like I just, like I tell people all the time, like if you look at what happened to George Floyd, Floyd in broad daylight, imagine what's going on behind prison walls when there's no one there to capture the, the correctional officer's behavior against the prisoner. So yeah, uh, they, we would be beaten, we would be gassed with high powered chemical agents. We would be injected with psychotropic medications that we didn't need. We would have our stomachs pumped um, for, for, with medication when we hadn't even overdosed sometimes. We would uh, uh, have stitches placed in our arms without anesthesia. As a punishment for cutting ourselves. they would tell us, well, you didn't have any anesthesia when you cut yourself, so we're trying to deter you from cutting yourself, so we're gonna sew you up without using anesthesia. It was a horrendous experience, and you, and if I wouldn't experience it, I would have never believed that this could occur in the United States of America. We're talking with Ian Manuel, a poet, author, and prison reform activist who, at age 14, was sentenced to life without parole for a non-homicide crime. He had shot a woman in the face in an attempted robbery in Florida. Manuel spent 18 consecutive years in solitary confinement, was released in 2016 following the efforts of the Equal Justice Initiative and Brian Stevenson, and with the support of the woman he shot, who advocated for his early release. His memoir is My Time Will Come. It's really an incredible story about how you did befriend the woman that you shot, how she forgave you and advocated for your release. Do you want to talk a little bit about about that, how that came to be? Yeah, uh, my lawyer that I had at the time, a guy by the name of Brian Gonzalez, sent me um, my legal work and basically told me there was nothing more he could do for me. And I was sitting in the dormitory before I went to solitary confinement. It was around Christmas of 1991. I was 14 years old. And I seen that it was the police report with Debbie's phone number and address inside. And I think all of us as humans, 
get this this inclination or these these tugs at our heart to do things and we usually push them away and and say that idea would never work it's crazy well i got the inclination and the, and the tug of my heart to call debbie my victim my friend she would become my friend and i went out into the compound and i pick up the phone and back then you could press zero and get a live operator and i said i like to place a collect call to debbie bakery uh the operator pressed the call through said you have a collect call from ian and i just remember debbie saying uh, can you ask him his last name? And I said, manual. She accepted the collect call. And I just remember uh, the first thing I said to her was, Debbie, I'd like to apologize for shooting you in the face and wish you a, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas. And she said, she asked me a question that no 14 year old should ever have to answer. She said, Ian, why did you shoot me? And I thought about it and I I, I said, Dave, uh, Ms. Bakery, it happened so fast. It was a mistake. And we talked for 15 minutes. Then that phone call was over with. And I asked her, could I call back? She said, yes. And I don't remember much about that second phone call, but I asked her, could I write her? And she said, yes, I could write her. And that's how our correspondence started. And we, we corresponded for about five or six years. And, and, and she continued to advocate for me going on shows like the Today Show and all across America mm-hmm. in the media advocating for my release. We're talking with Ian Manuel about his new book, My Time Will Come, A Memoir of Crime, Punishment, Hope and Redemption, about his experience being imprisoned at the age of 14, being in solitary confinement beginning at the age of 15 for 18 consecutive years. If you have reactions or thoughts about what you're hearing from Ian Manuel and what he went through, you can share them at 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. I was a little late giving out that contact info, Ian, because I'm just so taken by your, your story. I mean... And the thing is, is that you are also telling this in part because you want to try to create change in the prison system with your memoir as well. I, I do want to note for our listeners that in California, uh, the state did enact guidelines concerning juveniles in solitary confinement detention right now. In 2016, they approved a bill sharply restricting it. Jerry Brown signed that into law. And then in 2018, it has added guidelines saying that a juvenile cannot be in solitary for more than four hours. What we're doing in California, though, sounds like it really does not happen in many other states, Ian Manuel. Yeah, particularly in the state of Florida. Again, I have friends that I left behind, man, that are still languishing in the same conditions that I languished in. There needs to be a cap on how long a person could stay in solitary. There needs to be mental health adequate, sufficient mental, mental health treatment for those guys because everybody isn't an Ian Manual. Every, I mean, and even I didn't come out unscathed. Once I was released, I had to go to an Arizona uh, uh, psychological service counseling, extensive therapy, 12 hours of therapy a day from, 12, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. at night. And, uh, you know, it was it was uh, something that was much needed because I was carrying around trauma that I didn't even know I had because I survived by depending on my poetry. And I was my own therapist for so many years. Let me go to caller Lakshmi in the Bay Area. Hi, Lakshmi. Hi. Hi. Hi, Ian. Uh, hi. How are you Lakshmi doing? Paturi. I'm from India uh, and we run something there called Ink Talks. I am I never call it shows, but. I was holding my phone to wait for the number because I was so touched by, by what you went through. I just want to say yours is a story not just for America. I would love for people from around the world, especially in India, to hear it. 
because you are an example of the indomitable human spirit. You know, it's not about what you have done, why you have done it, or whatever, but how you have dealt with it. So, I would love to figure out a way to have uh, we talk to millions of youth in India to have them hear your story. Can and I would love. <laughs> Go ahead, Ian. Thank you for saying that. I would love to be able to connect you with my uh, my speaking agency at Penguin Random House. You can reach out to Penguin Random House, my agency that represents me, and see about getting me over there to India because I would love to reach all the youth in the world to, to be a shining beacon of, of hope that the impossible is obtainable, man, and, and to reach them at their young age and change the world. Oh, Lakshmi, thank you. And, and we will also try to facilitate that connection. Um, Joan writes, Ian, were any disciplinary or termination actions taken against the prison employees you wrote about, torturing prisoners and falsifying reports? No, not at all, uh, because the way the system is set up, it's a good old boy system. They protect each other. And so until, like, I mean, you got to look at the way the, boy, the George Floyd thing was written up. It was written up that he died as of a medical incident <laughs> at first. So uh, this is the exact type of falsification of paperwork that happens in the prison. Unfortunately, we don't have a camera to substantiate our claims against these officers. So it's our words against theirs. And their, their words usually went out. Well, let me thank Joan for that question. You mentioned that you haven't left unscathed. And I, I do wonder what have been the biggest challenges of, of reintegrating for you since 2016. Uh, learning to cross the street with, uh, I, when I first got out, I was terrified of cars. Uh, cars, I, I wasn't used to moving objects coming at me. It's like being rebirthed. Uh, I, uh, I wore blue, uh, blue clothing for so long in prison, the same sets that I had to learn how to match clothes. I was looking at looking back at some of my earlier clothing choices when I first got out of prison and um, uh, they were horrible. I still don't know how to cook. I still don't know how to drive a car. So it's, it's a struggle. I mean, I, I'm intelligent, I'm articulate, I have a gift. I believe God gives each and every one of us a gift. My gift is to compose words and ways that move people. And I would love to share a poem before, uh, before I, we go. I would love to have you share a poem as well. Uh, Ian, I, I'm wondering if now is an okay time. Yes, to, right now is a, a, a great time. I like to share my poem every time I breathe. Uh, I wrote this poem after being in prison. They use PBS as a punishment. Let me repeat that. <laughs> in, in prison, they use PBS as a punishment. Uh, so <laughs> if, if, if you force, because prison is like sports and entertainment. So if you force them to let you out of your cell for an hour a week uh, to watch television in a chain, chained up in a day room, they deliberately turn the TV on PBS to punish you. <laughs> <We're> back. <laughs> it oh, back I shouldn't laugh, but what a story. <laughs> yeah, it backfired on them this particular day because it was a, it was a uh, documentary on called To Be Heard about three South Bronx teenagers. And uh, it, it, they learned to express themselves through written poetry, through slam poetry. And I couldn't wait to get back in my cell and write this poem. And it's called Every Time I Breathe. And it says, every time I breathe, I feel the need to justify my existence, to take this moment that I'm living and enjoy every millisecond in it. My life and my struggles, not many can comprehend it. My desire for freedom burns like a sauce is inside a skillet. Tomorrow isn't promised, so I'm thankful for this minute. Though in prison, merely existing, it's like my life has been suspended. 
but that means it's temporary because I haven't been expelled and I still got a chance as long as I can in and exhale every time I breathe. Every time I breathe, I'm thankful for the oxygen from the trees and little things like little bees that get overlooked until they sting. Every day I'm faced with obstacles that block the progress to my dreams. But the blockades only masquerades like costumes on Halloween. I've been through enough pain to make a sane man just scream. But instead, I take a deep breath and just breathe. Every time I breathe, the cosmos come out of my nostrils like particles of product coming out of your console. My soul is like a chihuahua you didn't include in your carpool. My lungs relax and collapse like a bottom sitting on a bar stool. Every time I breathe, every time I breathe, I become an intergalactic being, stepping out of character like a chiropractor, snapping peas. I prayed so many times, it's like I got arthritis in my knees, but I still get down and bow my head because I continue to believe that as long as I can breathe, God's gonna make a change. In my circumstances, the only chance is for me to glorify his name. You don't know me, homie, but there's odds I've already overcame. So if praying works, but hurts, then I can stand a little pain. I want to end this part by thanking God for bringing me to these heights. And I make a promise to always honor and cherish this breath of life. Every time I breathe, every time I breathe, Every time I breathe. That's poet Ian Manuel. The poem is titled Every Time I Breathe. His memoir is titled My Time Will Come. Laura writes, thank you so much for telling your story and for advocating for other victims of the prison system. Laura also wants to know how can the public best advocate for prisoners' rights because there are abuses everywhere. Ian Manuel, as you know. Yeah, I would I would recommend just voting for people who are looking for criminal justice reform instead of making penalties more harsher. You you know we vote every day in this every every year in this country and we put these elected officials in positions of power and so we can hold them accountable. Hold your elected officials accountable. Well, Ian Manuel, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for telling us your story and for reading your poem. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate it. And I want to thank our listeners for their comments and calls today. And also, I want to thank Caroline Smith for producing both of today's segments with help from Grace One and Susan Britton. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.